starting to dream that I might just get through the spring without sneezing. Welcome to Handle Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 411 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and so far, almost halfway through the spring, I've not yet had an attack of hay fever, uh, which is the first time since I moved here that I'm able to say that. So I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. Uh, I'm joined this week via Zoom, not in the same room, unfortunately, uh, by Santi. Hi there, Sam. Uh... Glad to, to hear just uh, getting through spring, especially considering the fact that it's been a wild spring so far. Yeah, uh, not as glad as I am to be able to report it. I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, hay fever <laughs> goes in, in cycles, I've read through throughout some people's, you know, some people just have it every year, but some people get it for a few years and then don't get it for a few years. I never had it until I was like 18 or 19 and then it flared up. Uh, but this is the first spring I've had in Buenos Aires where I'm not really had to pop loads of antihistamines, so it's lovely. Anyway, um, we are recording a little later uh, week-wise than I had originally planned because last week I ended up quite busy, uh, very busy, in fact, um, too busy to record uh, after obviously taking the week off the week before that to go to Cordoba, which is a lovely place, uh, as is, I mean, pretty much anywhere in Argentina is lovely, really. I've, I've come to realise it's just that we're so far away from all the nature here in Buenos Aires. Um, the result of that, though, is that we have had three rounds of Liga Profesional action since we last recorded. And uh, as Santi quite rightly said just before we started recording, those three rounds can essentially be summed up by the phrase River are really good. Um, everybody else, perhaps a bit less so. Three weeks ago, which was two weeks, hang on, one week, two weeks. Yeah, three weeks ago when I last recorded with Dan and Andres, uh, we all avoided saying that River's name was on the trophy. But as we will discuss in the rest of this little first half of the podcast, uh, it's difficult to avoid saying that now. Uh, they have had, since we last recorded, a 3-0 win over Argentinos Juniors, which could have been two or three goals more, at least, if they'd had their finishing boots on. They were held somewhat surprisingly and with really quite a poor performance by their standards, 1-1 away to Estudiantes. And then this last week, just a few days ago, they thrashed Patronato 5-0 with four goals from Argentina striker Julian Alvarez. Um, rather than go through everybody's results one by one, we will obviously cover more teams than just River, but Santi, uh, is there any way that, that Tacheres can, can catch River? They're really the only team in touching distance. They're seven points behind Lanusa are 11 points behind River. Um, or, or are we sort of talking about River finally winning a league championship under Gachardo at last? Sorry, no. There, there's no way River are not uh, winning this. And uh, I think there's, a, there's also a very specific reason, which is that um, River, um, you know, on the next... On the next match week, you know, River will be facing uh, Platense in Vicente Lopez, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, an extremely easy game for them. Meanwhile, Talleres, who need to win this game, um, are gonna are gonna be hosting Belles, which is the basically the most informed team in Argentina that's not called River. Yeah, Talleres so... are in second, Belles are in in fourth. Um, and uh, yeah. as well, bear, bear in mind the fact that bear in mind the fact that Belis won none of their first seven games this season, mm. and now you and then you realize their crazy, crazy form they are in. Um, and yeah, basically, had they had they could they had they counted with uh, Al, uh, Almada and uh, Orellano in the first few match days, in all likelihood, they would be 
fighting for the title with River to the very end. But as things stand, I think uh, it, it is very, very likely that uh, Tajeres will drop points against Vélez. River will, will beat uh, Platense easily, which means that it is very, very likely that uh, River will become champions of Argentina for the first time in seven years. If they beat Racing uh, on the on Wednesday the twenty second, actually. Yeah, and uh, the although you know these things don't count for everything. Of course, the head to head between River and Racing, as we have mentioned a few times in the uh, dim and distant past on this podcast, is one of the most one sided um, uh, sets of fixtures between big five clubs in Argentina. Um, River have got an advantage of like 35 wins in that um, fixture or something, haven't they? Um, they? They just look so complete. It, it, it's it, it's really strange. You know, we, we sometimes talk about when Lionel Messi is, is really on form and, and for, you know, whether he's playing for Argentina and the rest of his teammates haven't been pulling their weight at times in the past or whether he's playing for, for Barcelona or obviously now for PSG not quite so much so far this season for PSG, admittedly. But we, we talk sometimes about how it looks like he's playing a different sport to everybody else on the pitch. And really, River look as if they're playing in a different league um, from most of the teams they're playing against. As I mentioned, they were poor against Estudiantes, um, but against Argentinos and, and against Patronato, it, it was, you know, they, they look more like a European side um, than, than anyone else in in Argentina at the moment. Yeah, and the most shocking thing of all is the fact that um, River are probably one of the most, uh, by far, the most, uh, the, the team in Argentina that was most ravaged by injuries and uh, other kinds of, you know, suspensions and uh, players called up for the national team during the international break. Uh, I mean, there was probably no team that was more affected by by these absences than them. And uh, Gallardo still found a way to, you know, reinvent themselves over and over and over and over and get results anyway against, um, against the run of play at, at times. But uh, most of the time they just exerted their, you know, authority over basically the whole league to, to just get themselves in this position, something that is probably, you know, helped by the fact that they're only playing, uh, they're only fighting for, for this championship this season, which is, you know, something that's new for Gachardo. Even even past seasons, they, they had been, you know, making a run in a Copa Argentina to qualify for the Libertadores or something like that. That's but yeah, the fact that they could uh, call on the on the youth players or even fringe players that you know weren't part of the team, like you know Bruno Suculini, uh, they could finally integrate uh, Team Paravecino in the starting lineup, and now he's starting to flourish. Mm. And even someone like Jonathan Maidana, who you you might think you know is probably either finished or just a little off the pace in Argentine football, is still looking as solid as ever, even if you know it's not. Uh, national team kind of uh, in national team kind of form like he was like five or six years ago but um, but yeah kudos to Gajardo for just uh, keeping this team competitive no matter who plays you know his, I don't know how many players he, he has used uh, this season so far but it has to be like about 20-25 different players which is uh, a huge huge feat and uh, speaking specifically specifically about uh, Julian Alvarez I mean, what else can you say about Julian Alvarez? I think uh, I think he's already surpassed what uh, Lautaro Martinez looked like back in 2017, 2018. Uh, he's starting to reach the levels of uh, Sergio Aguero in two, 2005 and th- 2006 levels of, you know, this player is so, so, so much better than anyone in this league which is, you know, crazy um, considering, you know, the the kind of decadence that uh, Argentine football has, has gone through and the fact that um, some of the best um, players in the national team right now were actually, you know, pretty low-key when they played in Argentina. So for someone to be such a, an 
unrivaled superstar in the league like uh, Julian Alvarez is at the moment is it's not something very common to see uh, at least in my lifetime. Yeah, to, Which, to uh, put that into perspective, his his four goals against Patronato mean that he's now four goals clear at the top of the goal scoring charts. Uh, he's got fifteen. Jose Lopez and Jose Sand, the two uh, father and son duo up front for Lanús, they've both got, <laughs> got they've got eleven each. Um, and Alvarez yeah, kudos, is also kudos to Sand, though. I mean, up until last mm. uh, the last match day, there was a genuine he was in a genuine contention to be you know the top scorer of the league with forty one years old, and he he went through that barren spell of about four or five games, which coincided with uh, Alvarez and Lopez's rise in in those in those shots but he kept uh, competitive for a really really long time yeah um but Alvarez is also joint top of the assists chart in the league as well alongside his teammate Agustin Palavecino that you've just mentioned and Nicolas Castro of Newells they've, they've got five assists each um so obviously, you know, assists, assists to an extent are much easier to, well, to a very large extent are obviously much easier to rack up when you're setting them up for teammates who can finish well. So it's not necessarily saying that he's the most creative player in the league or anything. Um, but equally, if you give me the choice personally between signing somebody who's got, you know, 15 goals and five assists or somebody who's got 15 goals and one assist, I'll go for the guy who's got five assists as well, please. If there's nothing else to, to, to pick between them. Yeah, Actually, that's because uh, I think um, Argentina in general have become, you know, kind of in, in, in this century, we've kind of replaced the, the production line of number 10s with this, this kind of, you know, small, um, pacey and very intelligent to move around space, these uh, second strikers, you know, starting yeah. from, you know, Nine and a half. Javier Saviola up to, up to this, up to this uh current crop of, you know, even Jose Manuel Lopez, who, who looks like this kind of player, Almada. Mm. Um, not exactly number 10s, but not exactly strikers either, you know. Uh, this little, this little pacey players who can play alongside someone much stronger, much bigger, and much, you know, more storied in Argentine football, um, as is the, the case right now with Brian Romero, even if he's only been a striker for about a year and a half, he's still, you know, the kind of striker that... Uh, Players like Julian Alvarez tend to play alongside something you can clearly see, for example, in Autor Martinez. He always played alongside either Lisandro Lopez or Mauro Icardi or right now uh, Romero, Romero Lukaku, Edin Seco. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, the other thing that, that stands out for me for, for River, not, not Alvarez individually, but for, uh, as a team is, is I mean, you, you sort of hinted at it when you mentioned the number of players they've used this season, but the sort of recycling um, of the squad when when you look at over the last couple of years really the, the players that River have lost that they haven't been able to hang on to um, that they've allowed to leave or whatever the fact that Gashardo throughout his time in charge has had to continually reinvent the squad uh, in a kind of rolling manner and at the start of the season you know there were people in Argentina saying this is the weakest looking Riverside in a while it wasn't a particular surprise that they didn't go further in the Copa Libertadores than they've managed in previous years. Um, and yet now, you know, maybe it's because of the, perhaps the slightly less intense competition, not being in the Libertadores and therefore being able to give the kids a little bit more room to breathe or whatnot, but they all just, they look like a complete unit. Everybody knows exactly what everybody else is doing and what they themselves need to be doing. Um, and, and they move up and down the pitch as, as you know, one a cohesive thing and it's it's very refreshing to watch and it particularly stands out to, to me at the moment as a Manchester United fan obviously I'll just get that in there before you have a chance to say it's something uh, I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> you're too kind so <laughs> oh man I mean I, I, I'm not exactly in the right position to say anything because you never know you know either with uh, Arsenal or with Independiente mm. Especially right. within the in this in the in these last couple of months, ish. But I mean, players like and we're going to be talking about them, or at least mentioning their names in in a little while as well, um, because they've they've been called up to the national squad to some degree of surprise. Uh, Enzo Fernandez and Santiago Simon, they've both also looked excellent. You know, the only reason we've not been talking about them, either of them, for the last 
five or ten minutes is because Alvarez has just been out of this world. Um, but the, the the midfield engine room there looks like it's in good hands or in good feet, I suppose you should say, if it's a football team, um, for a while to come, if, obviously, we weren't talking about a club in Argentina where the fact of the matter is that there's a good chance that they might be off in January or, or next June or July or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, I think it's been a general trend uh, in this season of Argentine football, which has been such a massive breakout year for so many young stars because of, you know, the economic crisis and the, and the fact that, um, you know, there's been so many injuries, but River have been particularly good at uh, producing this kind of new players. We've also seen that with uh, Felipe Peña Biafore, who's, Sadly, uh, mm. torn his anterior cruciate ligament in his right knee and uh, will miss the next six to eight months. But up to this point, he is so solid and at, at centre back, he was such a such a such a natural replacement, I think, for for either Paulo Diaz or Hector David Martinez. Even uh, combating Robert Rojas as a as a right back came as as a bit of a shock, but a really really successful one at that. Uh, but Camilo Rojasar, even if he he hasn't scored yet, he's been really really industrious and uh, has created a lot of chances for his for his teammates as well. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been impressive, Agajardo's work to just keep uh, the squad moving regardless of the names and creating stars out of almost everyone in that uh, in that team. Yeah, it's difficult not to feel sorry for Tacheres, who just a few weeks ago we gave an episode of. Hand of Pod Extra, available on our Patreon page, um, over to, to praising them and looking back at the last time they were anywhere near this good. And as, as we've already said, it looks very much as if the title is going to be perhaps not absolutely mathematically certain, but largely out of their hands by the time we next record. Um, oh, no, not necessarily by the time we next record, in fact, because there are no matches this weekend, are there, because of the elections. I was forgetting that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's impossible not to feel a little bit Sorry for them, because uh, yeah, for them, they, you know, second is, is still a historic result. But most other teams yeah, in, in most other years... They can still win the Copa Argentina. They can still win the Copa Argentina, though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, in most other seasons, especially most of the last, you know, the previous seven other seasons by this stage, where River are still in the Copa Libertadores and Gachalo doesn't give a crap about the league, Tacheres would be, you know, favourites for the title. Uh <laughs> And then yeah, their, I mean, their big uh, considering the fact that in 2014, to coincide in, with River being iffy at the start and therefore going out the Libertadores and decided to take the league seriously for the first time since Gachado took over. <laughs> I mean, they they had to because of you know circumstance, but mm. uh, yeah, you also have to take in, into account that we're I think we're taking for granted uh, that she has his place in, in the first division, but keep in mind that back in 2014. When Gallardo basically arrived, Tachez was still in the second division. Yeah, they. I think they only got promoted in 2015 or 2016 or something like that, and then this, this still, uh, they they just uh, hit the ground running as soon as, as soon as they they came back and they they established themselves first, and now they are really really fighting for for championships actually for titles um i think there's a very very decent chance for them to win to win the copa argentina against boca if they can if they can set set up in in the right way and well of course if they can beat uh, Goli cruz first <laughs> lest, <laughs> lest we forget they have to still play a semi-final in over a month but they still say, have to yeah. play a semi-final but uh but yeah i mean i think um i think this Tachiris team will still be recognized kind of like uh Cases, defensive justicia who also run uh, Rusting very, very, very close in 2019. Yeah, indeed, they, they will be remembered. Um, moving on to other teams and their form, Boca. Since we last recorded, uh, as Santi just just mentioned, they've made it into the final of the Copa Argentina. They actually didn't have a fantastic uh, run of form in the league. They lost first to Belles, and then at home to Gimnasia in uh, a match that I vaguely remember watch I think I was back from holiday earlier that day because this one's ringing a bell one nil it was um, particularly humiliating especially in the first half they were yeah Bra- you know, Brian Aleman away got... every time yeah yeah that's oh that's right yeah with the Luis Rodriguez uh, penalty quite early on um and Brian Aleman sent off 
in the second half, Boca completely dominated the, the stats on that one, but just could not get almost anything on target. And when they did, it got saved or blocked. Um, and they lost as a result, but they've more recently managed a 3-0 win over Aldo Sibi. And before that, they managed a 1-0 win in the semi-final of the Copa Argentina over Argentinos Juniors. I thought they looked very good at the weekend against Aldo Sibi. Um, albeit, you know, it was only against Aldo Sibi, but they were solid and looking generally back to their best. And in the Copa, it was, a, it was closely four. Argentinos gave it a good go. Um, it wasn't a, a classic match, but it was... You know, they did the job. And as you say, they're in the final and they will play either Godoy Cruz or Tacheres. Um, Tacheres themselves, we have just talked about without actually mentioning what their results have been since we last recorded. They drew an absolute thriller almost immediately after our last um, episode. 3-3 with Lanús, uh, having three been 3-0 up. up after yeah. half an hour. Um, that was, I think, that was probably the moment when we realized that this will not be running River uh, until the very last match day. No, indeed, that was it for them. That was it. it. There were two goals from Jose Lopez, and then Jose Sand uh, got the equaliser with five minutes to go in that one. After that, they managed one nil wins over Huracan and a two nil win over Godoy Cruz. Don't worry, I'm not misspeaking. That one was in the league. Um, and they play on now today is Wednesday, isn't it? Which means they're playing on the 12th, which is Friday evening um, in the Copa Argentina semi-final at 10.30 they won't, at night. Actually. Oh, they they won't? won't because, oh. the, because, you know, um, there's there's been this big, big conflict because uh, one of the Tacheres' star players, Diego Valoges, received his first ever call-up for Colombia. Uh, and that um, that generated uh, a complaint for Tajeres and uh, a request for, to the AFA to actually postpone the game. When I mentioned that um, Tajeres will be facing Godoy Cruz in over a month, that is because the game has oh, been course. postponed to December the 1st. Okay. So it's going to be a long, long while before we actually get to know who... Who will win this, uh, this Copa Argentina and who will book a face in the final? Oh, thanks for correcting me on that one because that one had passed me by. Um, so that's happening. Congratulations to Valoyes, or Valoyes, I suppose, if he's Colombian. Um, Lanús themselves, we've just mentioned the 3-3 draw. They also uh, beat Argentinos 1-0 and then were held 1-1 by Estudiantes. So they sit third. The table then at the moment then is is River with 46 points. Oh, we should say as well that there are 25 matches to be played this season, which means that there are five remaining. So that's 15 points to play for. River have 46 points. Tachera is a second with 39. So that's a gap of seven points. Lanús are third with 35 points. Vélez and Defensa y Justicia both have 34. Boca have 33. Colón have 32 and the Copa Sudamericana spots go oh, uh, are on the um, annual Sorry, table, that's, that, I should say. Yeah, yeah, that's not the table you have to look at. Indeed, yeah. yeah. In, in the annual table, since this is now getting towards the business end of it at last, um, we're going to end up with 38 matches played for everyone because you'll remember it includes the competition that was played in the first half of the year. Um, in that river, who I think at the beginning of this league season were in like eighth place on it or something, are now first with 67 points. Vélez are second with 65. Tacheres are third with 59. Uh, Colón, of course, who won the Copa de la Liga and therefore are going to be in the Copa Libertadores next year, whatever happens, um, are fourth in the table on 57 points. And then we get into the Copa Sudamericana spots. Uh, at the moment, those are occupied by Boca in fifth on 55, Lanús in sixth on 54, Estudiantes in seventh on 51, Independiente in eighth on 51, and Racing in ninth on 47, with Defensa Justicia breathing right down their neck on 46 points, but for the moment, just out of those spots. The Sudamericana, um, Boca and Banfield are already qualified for that uh, because of Copa Argentina. Copa Maradona. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Copa Maradona uh, performance. Um, obviously, if Boca, say, leapfrog, Col- um, leapfrog Colón or Tacheres into the top four. Um, Actually, the if league- they leapfrog Tacheres, because um, 
that um, only the top three teams qualify. Oh, that's for, right. It's um, the top three plus Colón. Colón had this before. So, yeah, thank you. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Um, so, Boca, Leapfrog, Tacheres. The gap there is currently four points. Um, then Boca would go into the Libertadores. And I think um, that the next team down to Defensa Justicia would then take Boca's Sudamericana spot. Of course, the same thing would happen if Banfield somehow ended up in the Libertadores spots, but Banfield would now in 17th place in the annual table with 41 yeah, also, points. Um, so it's not going to happen. Some, I, I think you also have to bear into account, to, to bear in mind that um, when River win the, the national, the, 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 the local championship, the Liga Profesional, mm-hmm. and if either Talleres or Boca win the Copa Argentina, that means that River and Boca and uh, River and uh, Boca or Tajeres will be qualified automatically, which means those three posi- those three places will go to the teams that are not qualified automatically. So that yes. means that hypothetically, Lanús is at the moment in case Tajeres or Boca win the Copa Argentina. Oh, of course, right, Lanús yeah. would be the final team qualified for the Copa Libertadores at this moment in time. You're quite right. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking that this was the table of of just to show what the qualification is, but it's it's just. It's the top three who other plus Colón plus the champions of the uh, ongoing league plus the Copa Argentina winners, um, as opposed to including those teams. Yeah, you're quite right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, there's no point. I, I was about to start on the um, relegation table, but there really isn't any point in doing that just yet because although this season's matches do count towards relegation. They don't count towards relegation this year. It's still going to be in like 13 months' time that those teams are going to be down. So why waste our time discussing it? Um, do you have anything else to add that's relevant to this first half, Santi, or shall we take a short break and then come back with international talk? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Only if I may add, uh, it is actually shocking to me that in the paint, they are still three points away from playing the Copa Libertadores next season. Three points? It's crazy. Oh, probably yeah, three I points. Mean, yeah, once, once River win the league and, yeah, as you said, yeah, um, Tacheres or Boca which, probably win the Copa Argentina. I mean, considering that in the Vente they have been losing or just dropping points to just some of the worst teams all year in Argentina, the fact that they're still right there means, I mean, the, this this season has been so widely inconsistent for everyone that even a team as mediocre and just short in in numbers and personnel as in the paint they're just right there in the in the fight for libertadores it's, it's crazy to be honest i mean i think we can extend that to estudiantes and racing as well uh they're obviously yeah but it's, slightly it's, further it's, back but estudiantes it's, level it's, it's, it's been consistent yeah estudiantes are, at least at least they have been you know consistent and are you know a much better team racing on the other hand you know but yeah that's a different story Indeed, I think yes. they're mostly relying on their performance in the in the first half of the year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, none of them are... I, I was about to say none of them are easy to beat. Let's see, Independiente and Estudiantes have both just lost five matches this season. Racing have lost six. So they're both winning and drawing more than, more than they're losing. But yeah, it, it's a bit shocking. It, it's also down to just the fact that too many teams qualify for... No, I'm going to slap myself on the wrist. It's not too many teams qualifying for continental competition. It's the fact that South America only has 10 countries to send play, uh, teams to continental competitions, which means that you end up with teams who are, well, would be in a more sensibly sized league down in mid-table, essentially fighting for Copa Sudamericana spots. Um, and the system doesn't always reward the most informed teams either, given that we're not just looking at the current season standings where it would be... River, Tacheres, Lanús and Beles in the Libertadores spots. Defensa Justicia, Boca, Colón and just about barely hanging on Independiente um, and Estudiantes in the Sudamericana spots with a bit of a battle for those last two. That, to me, sounds a little bit more reflective of, of what's actually going on. But anyway, even then, mind you, Independiente are only three points behind uh, fourth place Beles in in the current Primera standings. So, who really knows how we can tell who's good in this league and who isn't? Uh, is there any way yes. of telling? I it's three and the rest. It's three and the rest. Indeed, it is. That's it. Anyway, on that note, we're going to take a short halftime break now. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we will be talking about 
World Cup qualifying action. Don't go away. Welcome back. We have a really interesting double header in World Cup qualifying coming up uh, because it begins for Argentina for some reason on Friday. I'm not sure why. The rest of South America is playing um, are playing their World Cup qualifiers on Thursday evening, but Argentina's visit to Uruguay in the Clásico Rio Platense isn't played until Friday night, and then next week on is it on the same yes on the same day as everyone else is playing so on tuesday um argentina host brazil in san juan in a match that we hope will actually go ahead this time unless the brazilians manage to find some cowardly way of chickening out of that match as well we shall see (laughs) um the squad has Raised a few eyebrows. Um, we already mentioned in the first half a couple of Rivers midfielders who, frankly, deserve to be there, given Rivers' form, um, but who managed to make a few headlines anyway because, you know, sports papers in this country aren't always written by people who actually watch the local league. Um, and therefore, they didn't know who they were. But in particular, there's one name and club identity, uh, which is really surprising, even to us, Hardcore Argentine football fans here on Hand of Pod. I'm going to read you the squad now. See if you can spot it. The goalkeepers are Franco Armani of River Plate, Emiliano Martinez of Aston Villa, Juan Musso of Atalanta, and Federico Gomez Gert of Tigre. The defenders, Gonzalo Montiel of Sevilla, Nahuel Molina Lucero of Udinese, Cristian Romero of Tottenham, Nicolás Otamendi of Benfica, Lucas Martínez Cuarta of Fiorentina, Germán Petzela of Fiorentina, Lisandro Martínez of Ajax, Marcos Acuña of Sevilla, Nicolás Tagliafico of Ajax, and Gaston Avila of Rosario Central. In midfield, Rodrigo de Paul of Atlético Madrid, Leandro Paredes, you know who these players are, so I'm going to stop saying the club names now, of Paris Saint-Germain. I will stop saying the club names now. Giovanni Lo Celso, Guido Rodriguez, Nicolás Dominguez, Ezequiel Palacios, Alejandro Gómez, Enzo Fernández and Santiago Simón from River, Tiago Almada uh, from Vélez. I will give you the ones of the local uh, teams, obviously. Ezequiel Sebasos and Cristian Medina, both of Boca. And up front, Lionel Messi, Lautaro Martínez, Nicolás González, Ángel Correa, Ángel Di María, Joaquín Correa, Julián Álvarez and Paulo Dybala. You know, all of those players up front, we're all used to hearing them. A couple of surprising midfielders. Perhaps nobody really surprising for me in the defence, but what on earth is Federico Gomez-Gert doing in there? He plays. He doesn't play, in fact, for Tigre. He's like their reserve second-choice goalkeeper or something. He's 17 years old. Tigre aren't even in the top flight. Santi, have, have you managed to dig into what on earth he's doing in the Argentina squad yet? Yeah, I will try to, to explain myself. Well, not myself, you know, I'm trying to explain. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't explain Scaloni. yourself, just explain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have nothing to explain. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, uh, you know, I think that after a while, I started to see some logic behind uh, Scaloni's choice to, to call up not just uh, the, regular, the regular faces, but also... Uh, these young uh, th- these young players, when you will also notice that this is uh, Scaloni's largest ever call-up with uh, 35 players, which basically means that he called the usual suspects plus this mm. new guy. These new guys, uh, it's not that he's leaving anyone out. The people who is leaving out, though, are the ones that are probably you know people who you and me think are probably deserving a chance at the national team. People like you know. Gio Simeone or Marco Senesi or even, you know, goalkeeper Walter Benitez, who even before um, Emi Martinez just basically became the de facto number one goalkeeper by his own merits. Uh, he was probably one of the most, uh, one of the favorites to take over the position for, for most fans, at least. 
But uh, I think his logic here is that with the Copa America winning group, he has already, you know, uh, it is it will be very hard to integrate new players into that squad because you know the the basis of that squad of the of of the team is just so so very well defined and uh, and good actually it works for him that there's just there just isn't a lot of you know um there's, there's not really a point to keep testing players who are aged between 23 and 29 to try and um you know to, to try and earn their place because um, i mean the he's already got his his players, his squad, um, very, very well defined. So what he's trying to do with calling up, you know, these players like Medina and uh, Simon and Fernandez and Avila and Almada and even the likes of uh, Sule and uh, Gomez Gert, who have never made a first team appearance. I think what he's trying to do is just um, looking just below uh, the 23 to 29 age gap and trying to, you know, try some young players uh, for for when the the older heads in the squad uh retire and then we have to you know start developing um, players uh for the future of the national team post Qatar. So what he's trying to do I think is to just um integrate the players who he thinks will um will be part of the core of the of the Argentina squad for years to come into this team. Actually Gomez Gar, for example was the under 15s and under 17 uh, starting goalkeeper. Mm, so yeah. what it's trying to do is just uh, trying to integrate those kind of players into the squad to already get to know what it's like to train with the national team, to play alongside led, the usual suspect legends, uh, and to also send a message uh, to all other players, I think, in Argentina that... Um, this um the meritocracy I think still runs in in Argentina if you perform well in the in the local league there's a there's a very big t- chance that Scaloni will spot you I think that's mostly true with Gaston uh, Avila in fact which where, who I think had a lot of competition at right back uh, to earn a call um and he was the one chosen, and I think is probably one of the younger names uh, to be chosen when you consider that other competitors for that spot were probably Casco and Bustos and Tenaglia, who were all in, you know between 24 and 28, 29. So I think uh, from that perspective, I will say that I, even if I don't, I, that wasn't what I would have done uh, with the national team squad. I understand what Scaloni was trying to do. Very well explained. Thank you. Uh, the other name who was originally called up and has since had to be dropped, I think he, he was injured, wasn't he? It was Matthias Soule of Juventus. Um, who, I think he's, he's in the squad. It, was he? He wasn't in the list of names I just read out. He, he is. He is actually. He, there are pictures of him trading outside Messi and stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. In, in that squad. case, I, I assumed he'd have to be dropped because of injury or something. But yeah, no, that's just poor editing then from the... Uh, the people at goal.com, who I'm reading this from, I'll have a word with Dan, even though it's nothing to do with him because I'm reading it off the Spanish language site. Um, so, yeah, so he's in as well. And, and that yeah, apparently actually is, the, is partly the, to the ensure that Italy the, can't call him up, right? Exactly, yeah. That's the, that's the whole idea with Sule, to actually register him in either the Uruguay or the Brazil game so that we snatch him away from Italy. Mm. Um, yeah, whether Gomez Gert has lots of other nationalities as well. Not sure, uh, but uh, it's an interesting set of call-ups and I think you've done a good job of explaining the logic behind them there. Thank you, Santi. Um, for the matches themselves, Uruguay, given what we saw in the... Well, the first thing to point out, the most obvious thing, is that they are just two matches um, now. Uh, the South American qualifiers have caught up to where they should have been by this point prior, prior to uh, covid um, which means that I suppose at least the European clubs are going to have a little bit less to complain about. Not that that's stopping some of them, as we will be discussing in Handapod Extra a bit later regarding Lionel Messi and Leandro Paredes. Um, but, you know, only two matches before heading back and it's going to be much more like an, a normal international break. Um, but the Uruguay match, after the performance that we saw both from Argentina and from Uruguay when these two sides met just last month in the Monumental, 
I'm I'm thinking that one's going to be pretty one-sided. I don't know about you. I, I, you know, it's always difficult going to Montevideo, but Uruguay aren't in great form at the moment, and Argentina, frankly, are. That was intended as an invitation to give your thoughts, Sandy. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you also have to take into account that Uruguay are ravaged by injuries. Mm. But absolutely ravaged. They have like nine uh, players who dropped out of the squad. That includes, you know, genuine stars of the team like uh, Matias Viña, Federico Valverde, Jordan de Racaeta, Edinson Cavani. Um, most of the big, big names in the squad, apart from, you know, Jimenez and Godin and Suarez and maybe even Dancur, they're mostly out. So that means that Uruguay um, are, yeah, they are also in kind of a, like a, a very delicate uh, position in the in the qualifiers. You know, Chile is three points behind them and they have the same points, uh, the same amount of points as Colombia. They're sitting in fifth. They're, they're safe, safe space, I would say. But uh, they're not as safe, I think, as, as in previous years. So, I mean, considering the, the amount of, uh, of players that just won't be there for them and the fact that the only doubts are Perez, who is certain to not start, and Messi, who even looks likely to, at the very least, start, even, even if he's, he's likely not going to play all 90 minutes. I think it's got to be... It's going to be a win for Argentina. I don't know how uh, comfortable it will be considering the the win we got at the Monumental. I think it will be, you know, a little... Uruguay will try to make things rougher for, for us, I would say. But I think uh, we should be fine. And then, I mean, Brazil at home ought to be a cakewalk as well, right? Brazil were too cowardly to even play Argentina at home just recently. So what's, what chance are they going to stand coming here? taking on the champions of South America. I'm feeling <laughs> bullish about both of these matches. Oh, mate. Uh, you know, Brazil is, of course, you know, I- I'm not going to fall around and say <laughs> it's, it's going to be a walk in the park like you just did. Um, but uh, I think um, there will be a special motivation to, to play this Brazil team, not just because of, you know, the, the very uh, recent precedent of the last time we faced them, but also because you, it's basically a case of if we beat them, that, that will seal our qualification to, to Qatar. I think even mathematically, um, no matter what happens with that previous Brazil game, I, I will have to check that information, but uh, even even if it's not you know mathematical uh, confirmation, it will pretty much seal the ticket about a year before the... The World Cup is actually it's actually played. So I think as long as long as it's preceded by a win over Uruguay, I think you're right looking at the table. Ah, so so it's it is actually a confirmation. So yeah, at the moment uh, there I, I are think that's six games to go, which is 18 points. So if they beat Uruguay, then they would be 12 points clear of Uruguay with 15 points to play for, and then a win over Brazil would put them over. Yeah. So yeah, that, that sounds to me like it would work. Carry on, sorry. So yeah, I think uh, that that's going to be a big uh, a big motivation, especially considering uh, what Scaloni said in his last uh, press conference um, after we beat Peru, which uh, when where he said he was just uh, mentally and emotionally knackered for for uh, you know something personal that was going on with him, and and he did not want to think. Uh, about the World Cup, so I think uh, it would be very, very valuable for Argentina to seal the ticket to Qatar more than a year before the World Cup is held, you know, for planning and for resting and for, yeah, just to be, just to be much, um, just to be at peace with ourselves. And also, you know, it's Brazil. I mean, there's no bigger motivation than to beat Brazil again after we did so at the Maracanã the last time. No, absolutely. And also, you know, before the, was it before the final or was it before the eventually called off uh, World Cup qualifier that we were discussing the head-to-head and pointing out that in, in World Cup qualifiers, it's been a good while since Argentina um, got a win over Brazil, either home or away. And well, obviously, that away been, in World Cup qualifiers has never one, yeah. happened. But um, yeah, because uh, the, the last one was that 3-0 uh, 
with uh, the absolutely stonking goal from Raquel May back in what twenty oh five or something it was on the Pecker man, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it would be, be fantastic all round if if Argentina could end that winless run. Um particularly given, you know, the, the the next load of matches which are going to be played in January will be a trip to Chile. Um and then at home to Colombia, you know, those are both going to be matches that in current form and with the current teams playing the way they are, Argentina will start as favourites for. But equally, you don't want to go in, into either of them needing a win to, you know, do everything that you want to do. Um, I'm I'm expecting, I mean, uh, given, again, given what we saw from from the Monumental against Uruguay, I'm expecting a couple of goals difference when you factor in You've mentioned already the the injury crisis that Uruguay are going through. Um, It's never easy playing Uruguay in Uruguay, um, but this might be the closest thing it is going to get to easy, given the form of the teams. And I think Argentina can nick it by a goal against Brazil. You know, it it, it is worth pointing out that obviously before when Brazil ran off crying to their mummies, um, they were not at full strength. You know, they, they had neglected to call up uh, particularly their England-based players and everything. So it was very much a full-strength Argentina against a second-string or largely second-string Brazil side, whereas this time it's going to be both teams at full strength. But I think with home advantage, with the fans behind them and, and with their confidence high at the moment and in good form, I think Argentina can can do well what they did in the Copa America final. I think they can win by a goal. I don't know whether it'll be 1-0 or 2-1 or whatever, but I think they'll, they'll nick it. Yeah, that'll, that'll be amazing. That'll be amazing. It should be a good match. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, also, we also have to mention the fact that um, that game uh, against Brazil in San Juan will be the first ever game since the, the end of the, of the Superliga oh, yeah. with 100% capacity in a stadium in an Argentine game. Yeah. So that's going to be huge motivation for Argentina. Yes, that's, that's a, a good point that I was reading up about to make sure I had all the numbers right before we started recording because I wanted to mention it at some point and then I completely forgotten about it. So thank you for remembering it. Uh, the 16th of November, which just by an enormous coincidence happens to be the day on which Argentina hosts Brazil, uh, is the day that the government's restrictions on numbers of people in public events as a whole in the country um, are lifted and, and therefore, you know, the most public events in Argentina are football matches. Um, we will be back to 100% capacity at grounds around the country. Um, and that's going to be a pretty big test case. But I mean, so far, the last few weeks, uh, there was a, a slight spike. We haven't had, we got down to 20 consecutive weeks of, of, of numbers falling. And then they rose slightly. I can't remember whether it was the week before or the very same. It was the week before uh, I went away on holiday. So the week in which we were last recording. But since then, I'm just looking at the graph right now, and it's pretty much a flat line um, with a rolling average seven day of uh, about 1,300 or something like that, 1,200. Um, so fingers crossed, going back to 100% capacity for various things in public doesn't cause another spike in numbers, but we'll have to wait and see. If you could give it a little while before you next come down here, all the same, that would be appreciated, especially if you're from the United Kingdom, uh, because we don't want you bringing your horrible variants down here right now. Um, but having said that, I am actually tomorrow. The reason we're recording this on Wednesday and not Thursday is that uh, tomorrow afternoon I am meeting one of our patrons um, in in the pub for a couple of drinks because people are starting to visit Buenos Aires again. It's wonderful. Um, we'll go through listeners' questions now. Speaking of patrons and listeners. Uh, Birdie has tweeted us saying, considering even an undisputed golden boy is willing to renew and even stay, depending on the offers, if Julian Alvarez doesn't break it, is Saviola's record sale effectively impossible to topple in the foreseeable future? Obviously, he means for for River, for a a transfer fee received. Um, I can't remember how much Saviola's fee was. Was it like 20 million? It It must have been something enormous, wasn't it? Yeah. Let's see, Javier Saviola. Uh, it, it was when he moved to Madrid, wasn't it? Not to Barcelona. Not to Barcelona. That's, yeah, silly me, of course. 
50 million pounds, it says here. 15, one five. But that's in pounds, though. Not five zero. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, just for 15. Bit. Yes, okay, good. Um, so that, and at the time, that was in 2001, 2002, something like that. So that was when here the it says, was... Here it says that uh, um, in 2003, uh, it was rebuilt that Barcelona actually paid 36 million euros, which I do not right. buy. Yeah, that, that was I what I was trying to get buy. for, because I, I remember the, the, the figure in pounds, I remember 2003 was the first time I came here. So I came with dollars. So I know that in the middle of 2003, the pound was $2 to the pound. Um, so 36 million euros. Yeah, it doesn't sound an awfully long way off that. Um, that's they're not going to get anywhere near that for Julian Alvarez, are they? I, I would have thought if they get an offer of 15, then uh, 15 million dollars, I should say, then they should um bite the offering club's hand off. Not, not because yeah. Alvarez isn't as good as you know, hasn't got the potential to be as good as Saviola, but because of the economic reality of of the country of of river at the moment of you know argentine football in general um it's just it's an awful think, lot of uh, money for i think we have to maybe take into account um whether whether alvarez will want to stay in river for six more months or whether he he will want to leave right now i think uh, something that um also distinguishes alvarez from other Argentina youth prospects is that um, like uh, Diego Almada, he was offered the chance to move to, to the MLS, to, specifically to Orlando City uh, in the last uh, transfer window. And uh, while Almada said yes to do so in January to Atlanta United, um, Alvarez said no. And right after he said no, he absolutely exploded onto the scene. So mm. it's a matter of whether he he wants to stay for another six months and uh you know increase his value and also um earn a chance to be you know in the in the agenda of bigger teams than Fiorentina and AC Milan even if AC Milan are just in the in the midst of uh, an incredible start to the season in Serie A but uh but yeah instead of Fiorentina Milan you could also look at uh you know Premier League teams upper echelon Premier League teams in in June or July next year. So um, at least that's what um, Julian Alvarez is aiming for, according to reports. So what's, uh, what's rumour is that he he's, he's, uh, in, he's intending to stay uh, at least until May or June. Um, is apparently going to be offered uh, the biggest contract in the history of Argentine football. Uh, which is about a quarter of what uh, Fiorentina is offering him, but uh, but yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a very solid choice for him because if he if he leaves in January, that means he will arrive at whatever club he arrives, he will arrive in the midst of a, of a title challenge or you know a, a difficult season, and he will have to you know learn on the job and make mistakes, and uh, that will probably hinder his possibility to just. Uh, Hit the ground running and uh, become a, become a starter right away when he arrives. Something that you could uh, you could see it happen. You know more. It, it is likelier to for him to become you know more important for the team he arrives if he makes a if he completes a full preseason with the team he joins. So I think it's a very sensible choice uh, if he stays until if he stays until you know June. Or something at River. Yeah, you just reminded me of um, Alexis McAllister's situation, for instance, joining Brighton halfway through the Premier League season two years ago. Was it now? Um, yeah, but that that's a different that story was, because that was I, I think McAllister but... also had um, problems with his uh, with his passport, with his uh, work permits. Oh yeah, that's no, why exactly. He was loaned. Totally, but I mean, the, the your 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 comment about enjoying a full pre-season making it easier to hit the ground running because he at first obviously it was also disrupted by lockdown and everything but um you know initially he, he, he didn't exactly set the world alight in his first few matches from what I understand and then it was you know started to see what he could do after he'd had more of a pre-season um I mean it's something that you see just constantly and it's one of the many frustrations of having had uh such poorly 
managed transfer business as a Man United fan watching and constantly getting, you know, either not getting the player they're after or getting the player they're after, but right at the very end of the transfer window. So they don't have a pre-season with their new club and you end up with, you know, spending all that money on Harry Maguire initially, who took a few months to actually get going. Jade and Sancho now, you know, both, well, Sancho was sorted out a bit earlier on and for other reasons, but you know what I mean? It, it's always better if you've got a full pre-season uninterrupted, unencumbered by things like European Championships or Copas America, um, and you're able to get the player integrated into the side nice and early. And if anybody who's in charge of Man United's transfer policy uh, is listening to this, if you do want to make River Plate an offer for Julian Alvarez, then this Manchester United fan would not be at all disappointed. Um, just get him on like a 12-year contract or something, will you? So we don't lose him too soon. Um, so you're gonna look. So you're gonna. So are you just focusing on just signing yet another forward? Well. Uh, the two centre forwards we've got at the moment are 37 years old. So, yeah, <laughs> we clearly yeah, need What are you going to do with the shitload of uh, wingers you have on the team right now? Well, that's another issue, isn't it? But um, <laughs> what are we going to do with a great many things? But anyway, this is not a Man United podcast. Uh, so we shall move on. The answer to Birdie's question, is Saviola's um, transfer fee effectively impossible to topple? Yes. Um, it's obviously not by any means impossible to topple for the buying clubs in Europe. Um, but they would be rather foolish to try and topple it, given that River would be obliged to accept any offer or, you know, any Argentine club would be obliged to accept an offer significantly lower than it in dollar or pound or euro terms. Uh, Lee Bartlett says, ah, right. Now, Lee actually, um, Lee is one of our regular listeners. He's one of our Patreon supporters. He's not the one I'm meeting tomorrow, but he has met up with me. Um, on several occasions when he's been visiting Argentina and he WhatsApped me this question last week and I completely forgot to respond. So thank you for tweeting to remind me, Lee. Um, Lee says, please put some meat on the bones of the incidents at Huracan Las Eras. I shall now get my WhatsApp up and try to find Lee's message so that I can give you some of the more detail that he gave me for the benefit of our listeners. Um, The manager of Ferro GP got shot and stuff following the internal barra differences. Um, Reminded me of a scene from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels with the guy shouting, can everybody stop getting shot? Funnily enough, I've actually been to Huracan Las Eras and I can confirm it's dodgy there. This is Lee speaking, not me. Uh, That's coming from a guy that's been to all the dodgy grounds Argentina has to offer. Um... (laughs) Actually, my my mother is from Mendoza and uh, she's told me that Huracan Las Eras has always been a shady club. Yes, indeed. Uh, Lee's message continues. After I parked the car there and got into the ground, I could see thick black smoke billowing up from the vicinity of my parking space. I had visions of returning to a burnt out wreck and having to get the colectivo back to Mendoza, but thankfully all was good. Um, Do you know what's been going on at Huracan Las Heras then, Santi? Not really, to be honest. Uh, I also shocked as anyone else with... uh with uh, the the images and uh, even the punishment, which I think was, you know, awfully, awfully kind to Huracan Las Heras. Uh, I don't know if you, if you heard about it. I seem to think it happened while I was away or possibly while I was preparing to I go mean, away. And therefore were, I kind of missed my... But were, he got shot in the shoulder or something, didn't he? Is that right? Yeah, he, he, he got shot in the shoulder, like just above uh, anywhere... But his life could have been threatened, you know. Luckily for him, um, he he. I think he could have. He had the bullet removed. I don't know exactly if that was the case, but from from video footage that uh, was shared, it looked like that 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 could be it. But uh, he looks he looks fine, the manager. And uh, what I kind of said is actually punished with just a, a point deduction and uh, I think uh, an economic uh, an economic fi- a fine. And uh, not a lot more, which, I mean, for 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 something like that, I think uh, a team like that should have, should have been disqualified. I think from 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 competition for at least a couple of years. When when something like this happens with someone's life, especially someone writing the, we're not talking about a fan with all with all due respect to fans. We're talking about a manager, someone who is part of the game proper and um yeah i mean it's it's hard to process you know yeah it's um it's also this 
doesn't have anything to do with, as we've talked many times, the violence in Argentine football doesn't have anything to do with whether there are away fans present or not in the stadiums. Um, because a lot of the time, exactly. And, and a lot of the time it's home on home violence, as it were, um, or it's home fans attacking the home team or very occasionally, as it was this time, I think, home fans attacking the away team. Um, but it kind of, in a way, it's topical because just earlier today, uh, the mayor of Buenos Aires, Horacio Rodriguez Larreta, was confirming that in the city of Buenos Aires, there won't be any away fans allowed back in when clubs, um, when stadiums open up back at 100% capacity uh, because he'd have to put too many police there. Um, now, again, just to reiterate, this is kind of a false argument that particularly um, seems to be made by by people on his side of the political spectrum to say that, you know, oh no, away fans involve police because there's always trouble. Um, but it's an ongoing issue and, and it's just, you know, a reminder that just as it looks like, oh, well, we're opening up again, there have been neutral, in inverted commas, fans at a few matches recently and there, were, there was talk about whether away fans might return at last because let's not forget they've not been allowed here for a lot longer. Um, a lot longer yeah, than... A- than since the coronavirus lockdown. Um, 2014. No, indeed, 2013. Yeah. Exactly. For, for reasons that we've gone into many times before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's not going to happen, but it was just a sort of topical link into Lee's question as well, which was uh, less, let's say Lee's, Lee's question was less time sensitive, whereas that was something that just got mentioned today and was tangentially related. So I thought I'd mention it. Anyway, on that note, I think that's us done for this episode. Uh, if you're in agreement, something. Yeah, I think I am. That's uh, that's pretty much it. We're going to go away now and record an episode of Hand of Pod Extra, in which we will mostly be laughing at Paris Saint Germain for expecting Lionel Messi to prioritise them over Argentina when they signed him. Um, if you would <laughs> like to listen to that and to lots of other extra content and show your support for your favourite Argentine football English language podcast, or I hope we are your favourite anyway, um, please get on over to patreon.com slash handofpod and join the club over there. But for now, thank you very much indeed for listening for another week and it's goodbye from Santi. See you around. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>